0: The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall there be sounds of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord, and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified? And on the third day, rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Would you pray with me? Gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, whose mighty power raised Jesus from the dead, would you come now and light our hearts, that we may hear and receive the good news of the reign of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Open your word to our hearts, and our hearts to your word, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I remember the very first time I heard that saying, it was actually my first uh, Easter at City Church in 2009, and uh, Stacy Bartholomew, who many of you know, said this to me, Alleluia, Christ is risen, and I replied back, Amen. <laughs> not knowing that's not what you say when someone says that. For the record, I think amen is a perfectly appropriate response. It's just not the customary response. Uh, But I didn't know that. I, you know, I was coming from a less liturgical tradition. um, And so if you're here, if you're new to resurrection, or if this is, you know, if, if the liturgy that we use in the service feels maybe strange to you or unfamiliar, don't worry, you're not alone. Um, you know, many of us have been there and some are still there in that same boat. Uh, even those of us who over the years have grown to love and cherish some of these liturgical phrases that anchor our worship in the wisdom and ancient tradition of the church. And though it might sound kind of strange at first, like a, like a weird foreign language or something, these liturgical phrases, it's actually a kind of language that connects us to a lot of Christians around the world and through time who are saying the same kinds of phrases in many languages all over the world today, um, as have many who have gone on before us. And this particular phrase, Christ is risen, even as we say it like that, as if it's breaking news that just happened, takes us back. It takes us back to that pivotal moment of the first Easter when, in fact, it was breaking news. News that this small group of women heard from the mouths of angels at the empty tomb. News that these women then shared with the 11 remaining apostles who then eventually, once they began to believe and understand it, would spend the rest of their lives and ultimately even give their lives in order to share this good news, this gospel with the world that jesus the messiah who was crucified is now risen this news was bewildering and it was unbelievable then just as it is for us today and undoubtedly every one of us you me every one of us we have trouble with this we have trouble with easter for some of us, the trouble that we have is that it's just too extraordinary to be believed, right? We've become so used, to, or I'm sorry, it's become, it's just so far-fetched that um, maybe it's a nice story. Maybe it's, um, you know, what Marx would have called the, an opiate for the masses, something we just tell ourselves to feel better. Maybe it's something that made more sense in a pre-modern world before we wised up and learned so much, became smarter as we like to think of ourselves, but it's not plausible now. It's just too far-fetched to be believed. So that's one problem that some of us in the room have. The other problem that many of us in the room have is just the opposite one. It's that the resurrection of Jesus has become too ordinary to matter. We've become so used to the Easter story that its shock value is lost on us, as if it's actually a totally normal thing to believe that a person who was dead for a fairly significant amount of time, days, is now alive again by a miraculous act of God. And that through this one man, God is actually restoring all of creation to the everlasting thriving life for which God made it in the first place. That's a weird thing to believe. Yet that is what we confess as the church of Jesus. Jesus. But for many of us Easter has lost its strangeness and with it its power. Because here's the thing, Easter matters not only because it's true but because it is so strange. The weirdness of it matters. The resurrection of Jesus it is a total game changer. It's an event that says the world, as we understand it, is not what it seems to be. Death is not what it appears to be. And Jesus, well, clearly there is more to him than meets the eye. And this is what moved C.S. Lewis to write his now famous words, that Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Why? Because if Christ is risen, that changes everything. And I think it's only when we begin to embrace both the reality of Jesus' resurrection and its strangeness at the same time that the Easter story begins to actually wield its power in our lives. And it's only then that we begin to wrestle with the really important question, so what? Christ has risen, so what? What does that mean for us? And when we start wrestling with that question, that's when the real journey of transformation begins, and we begin to discover the infinite importance. Christ has risen. So what? What does it mean for us? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the way we make sense of life? Or the way we relate to suffering and disappointment? Or with the way we treat one another? Or the way we relate to our work? Or to our finances? Or to our neighbors? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the way we re- relate to uncertainty? Or our own vulnerability in an unpredictable world? What does it have to do with the way we live with our own past? live in the present, or dream about and make plans for the future. Whatever your particular story may be, wherever you are this morning in your own life, your own journey of faith, will you open yourself up to Jesus today? Will you allow the truth and the strangeness of this Easter story to wash over you, and maybe freak you out and startle you awake once again as God does this work of making us alive together with Jesus, making us awake again by his Spirit. And will you let that so what question just press into you a little bit harder than it has before, maybe, so that together we can discover more of what it means to follow Jesus and to live in light of the power of his resurrection. So just a couple of thoughts this morning about where to begin as we want to explore the significance of Jesus' resurrection and wrestle with that so what question of what does it mean for us that Christ is risen? A few thoughts this morning, and the first is just this. I think the Easter story tells us that if we want to be open, open to God and open to what God is doing in our lives and in the world, that we need to adopt a kind of Easter logic by which we seek to make sense of the world. You see, Jesus' resurrection is an event that doesn't fit with really any other framework for trying to understand the world. It doesn't fit nicely into any pre-existing system. The only way to fit it in is to begin with Jesus' resurrection and work outward from there in making sense. Of the world, right? If we go looking for God on our own terms, or if we try to incorporate Jesus into kind of the way we think already or the way we live already, we will inevitably either domesticate Jesus, shrink him down to a manageable size so that he can fit in there without messing too much up, or we'll just dismiss him altogether, recognizing that he doesn't fit and we'll miss him, right? Because the real Jesus, I mean, think about this. The real Jesus, the risen Jesus, he can't fit at the edges of our life. He can't fit at the periphery of some system by which we're trying to understand the world or navigate life. He, he either displaces what's at the center and, we, and transforms everything, or he just doesn't fit at all. He's either irrelevant or of infinite importance, to borrow C.S. Lewis's terms, but he just can't really be very much in between without our changing who he is to fit. But of course, the whole message of Jesus and the message of the Bible and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and the continuing witness of the church throughout the ages is that this is of infinite importance. Resurrection changes everything. Everything. It's the event that reveals to us that we've been looking at everything upside down. I've shared this story before, but the the story of Amy Svoboda is a haunting one to me. It's a story that I learned by reading uh, the work of Dallas Willard. It's a story he tells. But Amy Svoboda uh, was an Air Force pilot, a very well-trained graduate of the Air Force Academy, who was flying an A-10 attack plane on a nighttime training mission over the Arizona desert. And she was flying at about an altitude of 3,500 feet, engines at full throttle. And she went to do a routine move to, to make the plane. She would pull back and make the plane do a quick climb. And when she did it, she pulled back, went into the ascent, and flew right into the ground. Tragic. She had no idea if she was upside down. The resurrection of Jesus, if it's true, it exposes the reality that you and I have been flying upside down through life, so to speak, because our navigation system is off and we don't realize it. Our default settings for each of us are set to survival of the fittest mode. That's just true of us and every other species on earth, right? Right? And it makes perfect sense when we live in a self-interested, self-promoting, self-protecting, self-actualizing, blah way in the world and thinking and acting in that way, right? But those settings are off according to the resurrection because it turns out that survival actually isn't all that it claims to be because, as it turns out, death isn't as final As we thought, there's actually more. There's more to life. And what the resurrection shows us is that the way of life that leads to human flourishing, the way of life that leads to the fullness of joy, the way of life that leads to the common good, the way of life that leads to lasting life, isn't the way of the one who survives the best. It isn't the way of the one who succeeds. It isn't the way of the one who wins or who, as we might say, is crushing it. It's the way of the one who was raised, who is Jesus. And that life, Jesus's life, was marked not by self-interest and impressive success, but by self-sacrifice, by costly love toward God and neighbor. And by this powerful connection with God that went so deep that he was willing to trust God with everything. Jesus entrusted himself to God and spent his own life for the life of the world. And at the time, no one could recognize his victory as anything other than failure. But God wasn't finished, right? He wouldn't be deterred by human violence. He wouldn't even be deterred by death itself. And in an astonishing act that would actually alter the trajectory of all of history, God in that moment reached down into the pit of death, that dark, cold, still, lifeless, unavoidable place that claims us all and declares finality, God reached into that place and brought Jesus back and gave him a new life that could not be taken away. And the remarkable thing about this Easter event isn't just that it happened to Jesus, but that what happened to Jesus is actually a picture of what God promises to do for all of, the, all of his creation and to all of us who follow Jesus into that life. Resurrection is more than just a picture of what your future holds. It's actually an invitation into a new way of life right now. Because God calls us to follow Jesus into the world. He calls us to follow Jesus into a way of living resurrection life with God now. In the community of people who are being made alive by God now. And among our neighbors whom God calls us to be, as Leslie Newbegin says, a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of that resurrection life now. Resurrection life is a different game. It plays by a new, life-reorienting logic, and it takes practice. Because transformation doesn't happen just automatically when we hear the Easter story and think some new thoughts as a result of hearing it. Even as we believe the good news, transformation just doesn't happen by thinking new things. Transformation begins when we start making new choices. We start actually taking up new commitments and practices and rhythms, becoming not just hearers, but doers, of this Easter story. Which is why this Easter season, at Resurrection, we're gonna launch a new initiative. You don't have to do it, but it's an invitation to participate in a thing we're calling Resurrection Rhythms. It's simple, but it's practice-based. And what we wanna do is encourage as many members of our community as would do it, to sign up, to adopt a practice that you'll just commit to do something that we believe to be life-giving. So we, we understand ourselves to be followers of Jesus, and we understand the life of discipleship to be multifaceted, that it's not just an inward life with God, but it certainly includes an inward life with God, right? And it's not just life in the community of faith, but it's certainly inclusive of life and participation in the community. The life of faith with God is not a solo sport. It's a family affair. And it's missional, it's an outward-going kind of thing. We're not, the, the mission of God isn't merely activism or something like that, but it certainly includes action. It includes moving out. It includes seeking good in the world. And so what we want to do is actually name practices of worship and community and mission that we could take on to ourselves and say, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this one. You know, practices of worship could be things like daily prayer, or it could be um, a particular kind of, um, you know, practicing the, the daily examine that we've talked about before, where you reflect on your day and offer it to God. Or it could be a daily scripture reading or something like that. All kinds of practices of worship. Practices of community could just be commitments to be part of this body, right? The one anothering of the body of Christ. Maybe it's joining a community group. Maybe it's meeting with two or three other friends who are doing this together to talk about your life and how it's going and how you're meeting God. Practices of mission might include like, I'm gonna bless one person at work every day. I'm gonna bless one neighbor every day. Some intentional way of showing up to be a blessing. I'm just gonna commit myself to doing it and see what happens, or committing to take a prayer walk through your neighborhood, or committing to volunteer outside with some organization. The, the list goes on and on, but what we're going to do is actually put together a little menu to make it super simple, with a few a few choices in each column, and invite you to adopt one of each, one in each column, worship, community, and mission, because each of us gravitates in one direction or another, right? Like, maybe you love to pray, and you like to hang out with church people, but you're you don't like to volunteer. You don't want to serve. Well, that's not going to lead to a robust discipleship. Jesus calls us on mission. So recognizing, okay, I need a, I need a boost. I need a boost. Or maybe some of you love to serve. You're active and you don't ever stop. And you're always out there serving, but your prayer life is sort of empty. It's like, well, Jesus was connected to God and neighbor. Like formation is both, right? And so we need an intentionality to cultivate our inner life with God. Or maybe some of you are more inclined to, like, the individualistic kind of cafeteria-line spirituality where it's like, yeah, I just kind of like to, you know, pick and choose the pieces that I like or whatever, as opposed to a a life of faith that's rooted in community that actually is like, okay, I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to serve. I'm going to allow myself to be known. I'm going to know other people. I'm going to be involved in their lives. So each of us is kind of like prone to the things we like, we shy away from the things we don't like, and recognizing that spiritual growth against the grain of our biological hardwiring and our societal forming is hard. And if you've ever done anything hard, like lost a bunch of weight or like gotten good at a skill or you're like a musician and you've gotten your chops in good shape, you know it just takes commitment. It takes actual action. It takes often accountability or even a team of other people coming alongside you to say, let's stay in it today, right? And so we're recognizing that our spiritual growth is similar. And if we want to be people who practice resurrection life and actually follow Jesus into the world, like that happens as we participate with Jesus and as we do things. And so we're trying to boost our own community's renewal of discipleship by shifting from an insight-based model of formation, not just listening to me or other people and downloading information and getting a new thought for the day, but practice-based formation. God meets us when we move and when we move with him. So if you're not already on our email list, open the back cover of your bulletin, and if you would, there's a QR square there, and you can sign up and you can join our email list because I'm gonna send you a letter this week with an invitation to participate in resurrection rhythms. And it will have a menu of practices and even a form to fill out because we want to know what you're doing and we want to know who's doing it with us and we want to be able to help people connect with other people who are doing it because we want to be a community of real disciples of Jesus and not just church attenders. People who are really trying to follow Jesus and grow and be like him in the world. And we need help and we need intentionality. So, I invite you to participate. You don't have to, but I'm going to do it, and I'd love to have you join me in that, if you would. And as we do that, my, my hope and my prayer and my firm belief is that what we will experience in doing that is a renewal of discipleship in which not only will we get to be recalibrated as people in this Easter logic way of living, But that also in that recalibrating, we will begin to actually experience more and more of the Easter hope. Christ is risen, becomes our song of hope as we seek to live as Easter people in a world that is both beautiful and broken. How do you deal with hard things in your life? Where do you go for hope? Easter shows us a kind of hope that is so much richer and more beautiful, more humanizing and more compelling than either that naive optimism or that cynical pessimism toward which we so often gravitate. And it's the hope of resurrection. It's the hope that God is at work in the midst of the tragedy to bring life. And that God's declaration over his creation, it is good is not undone by the terror and tragedy that threatens its goodness. Unlike optimism, resurrection hope gives us the ability to speak honestly about the things that are really grievous. And unlike the cynical pessimism, resurrection hope doesn't just leave us looking for life among the dead. Christ is risen, and it changes everything. And you and I desperately need to know more of that hope. As we make sense of our own stories, as we learn to relate to our past, the things that have shaped us, we need to know the freedom that we have in Christ to uncover the shameful things and the painful things without avoiding them or being crushed by them. As you and I live in relationship with other people in our marriages, our families or with our roommates or with our friends or with our neighbors, coworkers, we'll come to these points where we need a hope that says change is more possible than we think. We need a hope that says God is more active here than he appears to be, that your faithfulness here will not be in vain, and that your past failures are no match for God's restorative power. as we think about our work, the daily grind, our aspirations, our frustrations, our longing for vocational satisfaction, we need to know the resurrection hope that says your work is not in vain. Your work matters because God is involving you in the great project, making all the things new, restoring Creation, cultivating life, restoring things to the beauty and the wholeness and the justice and the order and the peace for which they were made. As we read the headlines and weep over the horror of injustice and violence at home and abroad, as we look with dread at the uncertainty of whatever chapter is next, as we lament real losses close to home, and overseas, we need the kind of resurrection hope that enables us to keep moving forward in faith and in love without losing heart and without pinning all of our hopes and dreams on what transpires in the here and now. And as we consider our own mortality, the frailty of our bodies, we need to know the hope of resurrection that says, in the words of one theologian, you will more surely rise from your grave than from your bed tomorrow morning. Do you know that Easter hope? Do you know the God who in Jesus has joined you in your death so that you may join him in everlasting, risen life? Friends, that is what the Easter story is about. That's what this beautifully strange bewildering bewilderingly mysterious story is about. And what the women at the tomb told the apostles and what the apostles later told the world and what the Bible tells us and what the, cur- the church has confessed throughout the ages is that the story is true. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Risen King Jesus, we give you thanks for your grace, your mercy, your love, your courage, your faithfulness, your victory, your spirit. Make us alive today with you. Make our hearts burn within us light the path you would have us walk. Give us the energy to take the next step. Give us the fellowship of those who are on the journey with us. Give us eyes to see our neighbors you've given us to love. And give us hearts made new that we might live resurrection life in the earth and join you in your great work of making all things new. We pray all this through the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.